This is a djembe. It is a uh, West African hand percussion instrument that I may or may not uh, play occasionally. <laughs> if I set this before, say, a seven-year-old boy, and then I said, here's a manual. It has a history of the djembe drum. It has detailed instructions about how to slap the drum and get it to produce certain notes. It will tell you every sort of theory that you need to know as you read through the written word here. Which of these two will he go for? probably would be the same for you and I as grown-ups. Because before we are thinking creatures who read words and instructions and form beliefs through the written word, before that we are physical, sensit, sensational creatures who naturally are predisposed to practices, to the practical, to engaging our physical environment with practices. We go to the drum because we want to try it. We want to do. Think about us here in this room today. I don't think any one of us comes here and cuts a little cubicle out for ourselves in this service of Holy Eucharist, and reads through theology and doctrine the entire time, and then simply stands up and leaves and feels completely refreshed and renewed by the Lord. We come and we engage in practices, bodily practices. As bodied creatures, we engage in bodily practices. Practices. We sit, we stand, we kneel, we make the sign of the cross as a physical sign of prayer. We come forward and line, align ourselves. We are liturgical creatures. We come together to carry out rituals and ceremonies that are meaningful to us and that shape us. In fact, belief, which we emphasized last week, the importance of right belief and the importance of truth and doctrine and creeds, which embody the truth about who Jesus is and about our salvation, are so important. But in fact, creeds and doctrine and beliefs grew out in the earliest days of the church. They grew out of the practices of worship. They grew out of liturgies. And as people became more and more acquainted with their God through worship, they began to study the scriptures and formulate beliefs. But you see, in many ways, the practice comes first. The practice comes first. Today, uh, Paul says to us, to the Colossians in the first century, as an exhortation, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, continue to live your lives in him, 
rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. When Paul says this, when he gives this exhortation, there's no doubt in my mind that for him, belief plays a central role in that, in being rooted and established and continuing in Christ. However, Paul also understood, as we do, that we are bodily, physical creatures who naturally want to do. We want to practice our faith, and God calls us to practice our faith. So Paul gives us this exhortation to be rooted and built up and to continue in Christ. And that little snippet is going to be our focus today. What does it look like for a Christian disciple to continue in Jesus, to continue to go deeper and plant deeper roots, and to grow and to be built up in the faith? Something very important about this passage, the language in this passage, is that these verbs, continue, rooted, built up, established are in the passive tense. They're in the passive tense, which means Paul is saying, this is something you've received passively, first and foremost. You've received from God the ability to be rooted in Him, to be established in Him, and to be grounded in Him. And then throughout the rest of the passage, he goes on to elaborate all that Christ has done and how God has worked to bring His people into His family through the waters of baptism in which we die to self and then rise and are born anew, which in, in him also you were circumcised with a spiritual circumcision. And when you were dead in trespasses and sins, God made you alive together with him. So first there's this receptive, passive uh, message here that we receive from God our salvation. We receive from God the Lord Jesus Christ and we receive his truth, like we spoke of last week. However, Paul also uses imperatives. Continue to live your life in him. See to it that no one takes you captive through the world's philosophies and empty deceit. There is both a passive and an active reality going on here simultaneously. We are to recognize that all that we have received from the Lord Jesus Christ has been just that, a gift. God has done the work of salvation. But we are also called to actively grow deeper and deeper and live our lives deeper into that, what God has done and is doing among us. There are liturgies that we practice like the one here today. Sacred liturgies in which we bring, we bring ourselves together. We literally, physically put our bodies in a particular place that is sacred to come together to worship the living God who has made us to do such a thing. Who has made us to do such a thing. That's why I believe liturgy is um, such a powerful reality because it answers the need for us as embodied creatures to live out our worship and faith physically in the kneeling, in the prayers, in the lifting of hands, in the breaking of bread. 
But there are also secular liturgies in our world and in our culture which are not necessarily bad in and of themselves, but they're not necessarily helpful in and of themselves. Some of them are just simply neutral. And so let me give you an example. Amusement parks, sporting events, shopping malls and shopping centers. These are all kind of churches or cathedrals, if you will, in and of themselves. You walk through a grand entrance. You see icons and statuaries that invite your attention. You're invited to give something of yourself, mostly usually your money and your time. Grandmas and grandpas and moms and dads will know that amusement parks means giving a lot of your money for your kids' entertainment. But there are all kinds of things out in the world, whether it's a movie theater, Disney World, or or a baseball game, that are clamoring for our allegiance. A big one today, a big one right now, of course, in this season, is the political realm, too. There are figures in the political realm clamoring for our allegiance. And so none of those, in and of themselves, are harmful, per se. But for a Christian disciple, it is imperative that we discern how we are giving ourselves to the liturgies and the practices of the world outside of the church. And more importantly, to ask the question, am I giving myself to the right liturgies and practices? And am I being diligent at that as I seek to grow closer to the Lord? Last week, I uh, said that Part one was last week, and I said part two was going to be this week. In part one, we talked a lot about um, belief, and it was kind of more theology and theory and a little bit of history. And I said, next week, we're going to talk about some practical things. So I want to remain true to that promise and sort of dig into what I think is a wonderful way of thinking about practice, some practical things that will help us honor that that timeless exhortation to continue in Christ and to be rooted and built up in him and strengthened in the faith. I'm going to give you a very Anglican approach, and thus very Episcopalian approach. So if you're not of our tradition normally, bear with me. I'm taking an idea uh, from somebody who was a um, pretty well-known Anglican minister in the Church of England in the early 20th century, uh, Martin Thornton. And he called these practices that we're going to talk about the threefold rule. The threefold rule of life. And they go like this. Let me give you an acronym to make it easy to remember. MOP. Now, I know I might be stepping on some toes there because we have mothers of preschoolers. It's just a different MOP acronym. It just makes this easy to remember. And I want to briefly walk through MOP. M-O-P. Mass, office, personal prayer. Mass, office, or personal prayer. Mass is just another word for what we're doing here today. It's the service of the Holy Eucharist, the Holy Communion. Roman Catholics and Episcopalians often use the term uh, Mass to refer to Holy Communion. It was more of an older uh, traditional thing. And the Mass is where we come and we literally experience this passive and active reality that Paul talks about. Because in the Mass, God comes to us in bread and wine and fully gives us Jesus in a sacramental way fully gives himself to us in the bread and in the wine. And 
it's also active because we are called to come forward to the God who demands all of us and to say, Lord, I give myself to you wholly again. And we make that, we renew that vow every week that we come to this rail. Lord, I surrender everything to you because you demand all. Office. By office, I mean daily office. Some of you are probably more familiar than others. In our Book of Common Prayer, if you opened to page uh, 37 and scrolled all the way forward to page 140, there's over 100 pages of these things called the offices. And they are simply services of prayer and praise. Their origin um, is from the 16th century when Thomas Cranmer, who developed our first prayer book in the Church of England in 1549, had the goal of taking the eight, eight monastic prayer hours, so the monks in the monasteries prayed eight times a day at set times, which, which is, to go further back, derives from the Jewish practice of praying three times per day. And Thomas Cranmer wanted to take those eight offices and summarize them into two main services, and we call those morning prayer and evening prayer in the prayer book. And Thomas Cranmer's goal was that the daily offices, these services of prayer and praise, would be not just for monks and for priests, as they were, but for everyone, for the laity, for everyone, for families, to come together, family and friends, in the church and at home, and to have a service for prayer and for praise. And that is precisely the meaning of the office is time set apart for praise, primarily for praise. And if you read through some of those services, which I encourage you to do, you will see the praises. It is mostly straight from Scripture, most of it, about 80% of it, and they are wonderful prayers and praises to God. Now, pause. I'm going to make a bit of a sales pitch here. Next, starting next week, um, after breakfast, for the next three weeks, we're going to do um, just an introductory course on the daily office for a Christian ed class. So just a very brief three meetings, and we'll go through that chunk of the prayer book and learn how to make what is sometimes confusing. The prayer book can be confusing for how to navigate. We're going to learn how to make it simple so that it can be a pop out and sales pitch. Lives um, at home, away from the church. So please come out. End sales pitch. Mass, office, personal prayer. Personal prayer. We heard in the gospel today a desire from the disciples to learn how to pray. They saw that the Lord's personal prayer life was enviable. And they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. And then he gladly responded and gave them that beautiful prayer that we still pray and that we will pray today, the Our Father. You see, personal prayer is important because it's a time for our development where we bring ourselves as individuals before God. This is an obedience thing too. Remember Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room and close the door so as not to be seen by others, where your heavenly Father is in secret, and pray to him and he will reward you. 
because he is there with you in secret. So personal prayer is that time where we come before God with all of our baggage, all of our junk, our grief, our anxiety, and all of our joys, everything that we are currently celebrating about life, thanksgivings for his blessings. We come with intercessions for others and supplications. And we put ourselves at the feet of the Lord and just soak in his presence. And it is a powerful way of growing close to the Lord. St. Paul tells us, pray without ceasing. Mass, office, personal prayer, practices, practices, physical practices, because you put yourself in a certain position, in a disposition, in a place, and you set that time apart for God. You give your whole self, body, mind, and spirit to the Lord for that time. Mass, office, personal prayer. The three of them are interconnected in a powerful way. None of these are separate. These are connected in a powerful way. I could come up with my own description of how they are um, interconnected in in a powerful way, but I stumbled upon uh, Father Martin Thornton's description of it, and it's much more eloquent than anything I could ever say. So I'm just going to quote him. This is what he says about mass office and personal prayer. This conception of rule as a threefold system, an interconnected framework, might be illustrated by the idea of a fence. We are constructing a fence to keep the devil out of the garden of the soul. This carefully constructed fence of the spiritual life is built around a series of big, strong posts firmly embedded in the ground and placed at regular intervals. These represent the mass, which acts as the central support of all else. This is the central support of all else. A more numerous series of smaller stakes embedded in the ground and placed at more frequent intervals between the main posts are... The daily offices. Finally, there are a number of horizontal, parallel cross pieces which may vary in number, size, strength, or material, which link up the verticals and which are dependent upon them. This is private prayer. That's nice. That's a nice description. If we give ourselves to these practices as practical creatures, God will form us in ways of which we are not even aware. Just speaking from personal experiences at seminary, I was required (laughs) to go pray the offices whether I wanted to or not and to go to Holy Eucharist every day, twice a day. Um, for daily offices, and until I was done with seminary and could step away and reflect on that, I didn't even realize that I was being shaped by those prayers, and they, they became the bread and butter of my life, and that sometimes they just come to my mind when I'm in a certain situation, and I will say something from the prayers of the daily offices. The Lord used that to shape me, and he uses that to shape everybody. That routine, that practice, that liturgical repetition of getting into the prayers and giving ourselves to the praise of the Lord. Um, In his book called The Desiring the Kingdom, Desiring the Kingdom, Christian philosopher James K.A. Smith from Calvin College notes this, both the philosophical tradition 
and recent cognitive psychology emphasize that our dispositions, that is, our inherent qualities of mind and character, or automatic habits are acquired and shaped by practices. This is what the world of philosophy and psychology are doing a lot of research in right now, looking at how practices shape character. Now, how much more, if that's important to the world, how much more should that be important to Christian disciples who are people of practices? Who are people of practices to be shaped by the habit, to be shaped by the ceremonies, to be shaped by the practices. It's a passive and active reality because God is always doing the work and inviting us into practices. He is always there, always inviting us. It is His work. When you go to pray at home by yourself, that's a response to God whether you realize it or not. Because he's done something in your spirit to provoke that. So it's, an act, it's a passive reality in that we respond, but it's an active reality that we come forward and give ourselves to the practice to praise God. Beloved, practices are vital in keeping us rooted in Jesus. Keeping us rooted in Jesus. They shape us, God shapes us through them, rather, I should say. And the more we carry out our practices the more we are shaped as disciples of Jesus Christ. And it's never limited to those three. There are other practices, of course, like going out and doing service to your community or offering a hand to a hurting person or offering a prayer to someone who is in need. There are so many practices. And if we take hold of the practices that God calls us to, we allow God to shape us And the more rooted and the more built up we become in Him. Amen.